This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And now we often hear about how high blood pressure among older adults leads to an increased risk of conditions like heart disease, kidney disease and stroke, among other things. But what happens when it's the opposite, when older adults have low blood pressure and it goes too low? So on this episode of Healthy Aging, um, joining me on the show today is consultant geriatrician, Professor Dr. Tan Mopin, to dive into what the concerns are with low blood pressure and why managing it well could lead to a better quality of life for older adults. Prof Tan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I guess I want to look at the basics of blood pressure first, right? Because if we look at the average person, um, could you refresh our memories? What is the ideal blood pressure and what does it tell us about how our body is doing? You know what? That's probably the largest argument on the in healthcare <laughs> right now. What's the optimal mm. blood pressure? But the magic number... Uh, is one two zero seventy? Mm-hmm. Is what you know when we learn at school on biology what normal blood pressure is. Mm. It hovers around one two zero systolic. There mm-hmm. are two numbers. Remember, so a systolic is when the heart pumps all the blood to your body and diastolic is when the heart refills. So diastolic uh, is usually around 70 millimetres mercury. Mm. So 12070 is the magic number. Mm. So then for older adults, does that magic number change? Yes. Um, So we do know that the average blood pressure moves up over time. Mm. So um, as, as we get Older, we'll just see on average when we see patients, their blood pressure will be going up. Um, but there is no clear agreement at what level would we accept at normal, at what age. But um, we do know that uh, we tend to push targets up a little bit when we get to uh, in, in older age, particularly in uh, those who are frail, mm-hmm. because we do find if we treat them very aggressively, then they tend to have side effects. Mm. Because we tend to take blood pressure as something that you measure in the office in one snapshot. Mm-hmm. But what actually happens is your blood pressure varies over from day and night. Mm, it fluctuates. Uh, it fluctuates and it, measure, it varies with every heartbeat. And now we already have the technology that can actually measure heart rate from uh, blood pressure with every heartbeat. But um, healthcare has been very slow to adopt this technology because um, it's just easier to just take one blood pressure and say that's your blood pressure. Um, so... Um, that there should be more change in this direction, but there's not many people pushing to it because um, people don't see the need currently to adopt this approach to actually measure blood pressure. Mm. Mm. How is that different from, I guess, getting someone to measure that blood pressure at different points in time? It's still a snapshot measure, isn't it? So mm. over one minute, if your heart rate is 70 beats per minute, that's average blood pressure, heart rate, then you will have 70 blood pressure measurements, but you only take one. Mm. Yeah, so um, so th- so it is better than the one off snapshot office blood pressure, uh, it, but the blood pressure taken at home is still a snapshot. So, um, and the technology is there now to actually record it with every heartbeat. Mm. But um, of course, uh, doctors have 
doctors haven't quite figured out the relevance of all this, etc. So it's still very crude and there's so much we don't know about blood pressure. Mm. Yeah. What technology is this, Prof? How does it work? Oh, okay. So previously, mm. um, I, I, if you see, um, if you used to go to, if you'd ever been to an intensive care unit, you'd see people with a line in the artery mm-hmm. and that will, and then that's a transducer that goes to a machine that will give you a blood pressure every, with every heartbeat. And that's, you know, putting a line in the arteries, an extremely painful procedure. It needs anaesthetic, um, mm. usually local, um, but in ICU, the patients are generally not awake anyway. Uh, and uh, they, and so it's very invasive and there's risk of infection, etc. So it's more or less about 40, 50-year-old technology now that you can actually, similarly from the finger, mm. actually measure the pulse waves and uh and detect the blood pressure over every heartbeat. Mm. But of course, it's because it's non-invasive, because it moves, etc. Mm. So there's a lot of uh, noise. Um, so it needs a lot of computational engineering signal processing ability to be able to sieve out the noise from the relevant signals to, for us to actually interpret this blood pressure. But the technology is actually very good. Uh, but it's a bit clunky, you know, you've got to wear some cuff on your hand and then you've got to actually um, wear the, 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 all the machinery on your on your belt mm. and then with the movement and everything, it's a problem. So we tend to do it in the office with someone sitting still and then we get much better signal. But you, you, could, you can't help but think that if more people were invested in this information, that you would actually have, you can also use the super duper chips that we now have in our mobile phones, mm-hmm. um, in, and, and our electric cars, and you could actually make this technology far more wearable mm. um, in order to for it to be uh, used in our own homes. But that's that's there's so much research that can be done, mm. uh, and um, we need more people to be interested in this area. Yeah. Mm, mm. So then. Um, going back to what you mentioned earlier, Prof, about how with older adults, the, the ideal number um, goes up, right? Yes. What is the range of variability that's acceptable then for older adults before you determine if, okay, they have high or they have low blood pressure? Okay. It needs to be individualised because mm. everybody is different. But by and large, if the blood pressure um, drops below 90 over 50, so the systolic number is 90, lower, lower number is 50, that is what we consider a danger level. So, so the, the 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 role of blood pressure in the hospital. So, when you if, you, if anyone's checked into hospital, you realize that the nurses come and measure your blood pressure f- four to six times a day. So, every four hourly. Um, mm. um, now we allow them to move it to six hourly because you know people want to sleep, lah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the um. The problem is, um, people, um, sometimes they misunderstand. People misunderstand why we measure this blood pressure, so they they're worried when the blood pressure is high. Mm. Yeah, then they worry and the blood pressure goes up some more. But actually, if your blood pressure is kind of on the high high normal side in hospital, we consider that okay because mm. you're anxious. Mm. Um, but the what we're looking for is low blood pressure because in the hospital setting, that means when you're really unwell, having low blood blood pressure is a danger sign. So we there's we monitor it so that we can detect changes in the blood pressure. So if you come in with a blood pressure of let's say on the high side 150 over over 90 or 100, and then it start, it drifts down over the next few hours to to 100 over 60, it's significant. Mm. That means that something is happening. Your body is getting sicker. 
So dropping of the blood pressure in addition to just having a one-off measurement of low blood pressure, both are danger signs in the hospital when you're unwell of you being a very sick person. Mm. And what about when they're outside the hospital, when they're in the community at home, um, what does low blood pressure mean for them? Okay, so there's several types of Mm. low blood pressure, as you would imagine. So it could be, um, you could be normal all the time, then suddenly it drops down low and it stays low. Mm -hmm. That is a danger sign suggesting that something serious has happened to your body. Mm -hmm. So you're either very sick from an infection or even what's quite common now is having a bleed uh, in your stomach Mm -hmm. uh, or your intestines and you've lost so much blood such that your blood pressure has dropped or clot in your lung. Those are dangerous things um, that um, is a sign that you need urgent medical attention. But you will feel this because if it suddenly drops, you will feel very dizzy, very uh, clammy, unwell, very weak. So you hopefully will respond to this uh, and go and see the doctor. Um, But sometimes someone's blood pressure has always been low. Mm. Yeah, so they're born low. Yeah, so um, so the and you know because the normal what well, we say it's hundred twenty over seventy. Um, some of us have had low blood pressure of ninety over fifty all our lives. It's not going to go any higher. Mm. Um, um, sometimes it does creep up over age, but um, sometimes it doesn't because of the person's maybe dietary habits and things like that. There are there are there is anecdotal evidence that you know the people uh, living in the highlands in Peru. <clears throat> their blood pressure stays at 90 over 50 all their lives mm. um, because you're born with a blood pressure of 90 over 50. Um, and um, they uh, because they don't have any excess to salt. So if you don't eat salt, then your blood pressure can, if you eat very lo- little salt throughout your life, your blood pressure can actually stay quite low, around 90 to, to uh, systolic to 50 diastolic all your life. So that is what we call physiological normal. Mm. Um, but then there are other people who usually has normal blood pressure. So blood pressure creeps up over life. And then uh, at some point, they develop an illness. Mm. Um, and we call this um, a pathological condition. And it could signify either a problem with your heart or a problem with the blood vessels. So uh, the problem with your heart is, of course, serious. So um, so if your heart is not pumping hard enough, then it would manifest as lower blood pressure. Um, the other thing that um, uh, is your blood, blood vessels. So what happens is um, if you stand up, your blood pressure will squeeze hard to push the blood back into your heart just mm. to, uh, to avoid um, the blood pressure dropping. Mm. So but, for when, from when you go from sitting or lying down to standing up? Yeah. That's right. But in, in, in some people, these blood vessels, the nerves that control these blood vessels are not working. Mm. Um, and um, so, um, and it could be due to a variety of reasons. The most common reason is the medications that we are taking. Mm. Um, so uh, surprisingly, a large number of us now have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the prevalence of blood pressure in our country is around about 30-something percent. That means one in three people walking out there has high blood pressure. And then as you get older, you know, um, it goes up to over 70 when you, uh, over 70 percent when you get, uh, when you're over the age of 65. That is really very, very alarming figures for our country. But what, um, but what seems to happen is there's a group of older people who um, just has high blood pressure when they see the doctor. 
So we call it white coat hypertension. And it's more common than you think. I see a lot of them. So what happens is, because every time they go to see the doctor, the blood pressure is high. So the doctor thinks they have high blood pressure and they will start them on blood pressure pills. Um, so these people will then... Um, because the blood pressure is actually normal. So when they're not with the doctor, <laughs> their blood pressure drops to a low level. Um, and so then we call it uh, drug-induced hypotension. Mm -hmm. And these people are at risk of um, falling immediately mm. because not enough blood pressure means not enough blood to the head uh, and they will um, start falling over. Uh, and over long term, it can also increase the risk of uh, problems like dementia because if you're chronically not getting enough blood to your brain, then uh, your brain will suffer some damage. Mm. All right. And cause muscle weakness and things like that because they're moving around less, etc. Mm. So that is uh, um, so that is a constantly low blood pressure, um, and and of course you can have damage to your nerves uh, due to diabetes. That's a, um, that's the most common cause of da uh, nerve damage. We call it autonomic neuropathy. Mm -hmm. um, so in diabetes, uh, the high sugar level in your blood can cause uh, damage to the nerves that controls the little tiny tiny nerves that control the blood pressure. so, um, so And so we call it uh, autonomic neuropathy. And they could then have chronically low blood pressure because their blood vessels are not squeezing to maintain their blood pressure. Um, and there are other rarer causes of uh, low blood pressure, such as Parkinson's disease um, and um, even rarer causes of nerve damage. Um, but um, then you have this condition, which is even more common. Mm. That is, we call it uh, intermittent low blood pressure. Mm. And the most common cause of that is a condition called vasovagal syncope. So it's a common faint. Mm. Yeah. Um, and when we asked the population uh, around the Klang Valley um, over the age of 55, whether they fainted in their lifetime, about one in three of them said yes. Yeah. So, um, so what happens is, um, I'm sure most people have experienced uh, some of this. If you, um, so it usually happens with prolonged standing in a hot hot environment. Mm. Yeah, sports day is a favourite yes. time. Yeah, so the young person stands in the hot sun, hasn't drunk very much because, you know, the, uh, the access to the toilet in the stadium is quite bad. Mm. And then uh, they drop their blood pressure and they faint. Mm. Um, and it's quite harmless because you know, we know that, you know, if you lie them down for a while and give them water, they, they, they recover. Mm. Um, nowadays, it's standard practice would just get them to a doctor for a checkup afterwards. But it's pretty harmless. And it happens to one in three of us at least once in our lifetime. Mm. So, um, so, but then uh, the risk of vasovagal syncope goes up with age, mm. uh, or the, uh, and also with medication. So there are some medications that will increase your risk of fainting. Um, then the second most common cause of intermittent low blood pressure would be a condition we call orthostatic hypotension. So remember, vasovagal syncope is harmless. Mm -hmm. Orthostatic hypotension means blood pressure dropping when you stand up. And that is not harmless. Mm. Yeah, because imagine every time you stand up, your blood pressure drops. Um, it can be pretty um, off-putting, isn't it? And you, you'd be very worried about getting up. And also you're at risk of falling and harming yourself. Um, so, and that is definitely more common as you get older. And uh, But nowadays, um, the most common cause of orthostatic hypotension is actually medications because mm. the, the, the way blood pressure medications uh, work is to actually relax your blood vessels to lower your blood pressure and therefore when you get up your blood pressure can be a bit sluggish your blood vessels can be a bit sluggish when it responds to you standing up and therefore your you get a drop in blood pressure and that's quite dangerous and currently 
um, there's very little awareness that this happens. Because, mm. you know, we're only having a population that is starting to age. We're, we're just an aging population. So healthcare services don't measure lying and standing blood pressure. I don't know if mm. any one of you noticed. Your doctor measures your blood pressure sitting down. Yes. Yeah, And you at home will also measure your blood sitting pressure down, sitting yeah. down. So, so the only time we know someone's blood pressure drops is when they either feel unwell, which is a lucky thing, or uh, when they stand up, they go, oh, I'm dizzy. So they, they, they tell the doctor and the doctor measures the blood pressure and they go, oh, yes, your blood pressure is dropping when you stand up. Or sometimes it only we only know when you've fallen, but then we measure your blood pressure lying and standing. Unfortunately, a lot of older people lack this, lose this ability to be aware of uh, low blood pressure symptoms. So usually if my blood pressure is low, your blood pressure is low, we will feel unwell, you know, we'll feel mm. tired, uh, sleepy, we'll start yawning and we will feel very dizzy, we'll sit down. But the older person might not be aware of the symptoms of low blood pressure and so they will carry on going and that will put them at risk of falling down and hurting themselves. Mm. Yeah. Why would they be less aware? Is it because of the, 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 the reduced sense, senses? Uh, yeah. Um, so um, as you as you get, well, I keep saying it, isn't it? As you get older, uh, the the your, we all know that your brain function does decline, mm. um, and some of the nerve connections to um, do, do do not work so well anymore. Mm. So you might not be aware um, that your blood pressure has dropped because the signal is not going to the rest of your. Uh, to, to, to the brain telling you that, oh, the blood pressure is low, you should sit down. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So there's a signal processing issue. Mm. All right, we'll go for a quick break now and continue this discussion. When we come back on the show with me today is consultant geriatrician, Professor Dr. Tan Mopin. We are talking about low blood pressure on today's show and um, signs that we can spot and how why, why it should be something that we are concerned about among our older adult population. We'll be right back after a few messages. Keep it here on Health & Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su, and you are listening to an episode of our Healthy Aging series. And joining me in the studio today is consultant geriatrician, Professor Dr. Tan Mopin. We are talking about low blood pressure on the show today. Um, something a bit different because I think what people often um, know or are aware about is the dangers of high blood pressure. And as Prof Tan mentioned before the break, um, we have a very high proportion of that in our population. It's one out of three people um, across our general population and of course, that risk goes, um, that, that number goes up when you look at the age groups. Um, Prof Tan, before the break, you were walking me through the different types of, um, or dif the different causes of low blood pressure among older adults, right? So, and, and you spoke a bit about the, the signs and symptoms of what people might experience. So from there then, when should someone see a doctor or see a GP or a specialist even, right? Um, what are the red flags that even family members can look out for? Because okay. you mentioned that older adults may not, may not be aware of what they're experiencing. Yes. So um, ideally, we should be monitoring. So, mm. um, so if the older person is already taking a blood pressure medication, mm. um, they should have regular checkups at least every six months uh, in with their doctor who will check their blood pressure to make sure that they're not over-treated. Mm. Um, and the monitoring now goes beyond in the office. Because as I mentioned previously, there's this group of particularly older women who get very nervous when they see the doctor and they get this thing called white coat hypertension. Mm -hmm. And we do know that doctors no longer wear white coats nowadays, <laughs> but they still get white coat hypertension because just the thought of seeing someone 
um, as important as a doctor or as scary as a doctor. They might have had very bad experience with mm. a doctor when they were young. So um, so then, so nowadays we actually ask people to monitor their blood pressure at home if they're taking blood pressure medications. And um, unfortunately, people, because they are taking the blood pressure medication for high blood pressure, they only seem to be aware of when the blood pressure is high. Mm. So the doctor will say, try and keep your blood pressure below 140. Uh, and in some people with diabetes, they'll say below 135 or 130. So, um, so, the, um, so they will just look at the top number and then they'll go, oh, it's below 140, that's fine. But then um, they don't realise that Sometimes it drops below 120, uh, it's 110 or 100, 100, which is way below our target. Mm, but and that doesn't concern them because they're making concern. sure it doesn't go up, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So they're quite happy with that at that number. Um, but, you know, if someone's blood pressure is dropped, has dropped below 120 and they're on treatment, you should be asking, do they still need the treatment? Mm. Yeah. So um, so the that's, that is currently not that's a lack of awareness generally out there and nobody is actually flagging this up. So home monitoring is what we would actually advocate because this will take away the white coat effect uh, and uh, it's far more accurate and um, but don't check it every day la. Mm. You, you still have to have a life you know you have a machine at home but you know check it every a couple of weeks and keep a record of it for, for when you next see the doctor mm. but what is perhaps even more useful is two weeks before you see the doctor just measure it twice a day random times mm. record the time and the measurement mm. uh, for, for for two weeks before you see the doctor and then the doctor can has the measurements uh, to actually accurately decide on how best to treat because remember it fluctuates so it's not the it's the average number that they look at as a target but we're also concerned about the lowest number because mm. if the lowest number is consistently below 120 then we start worrying whether you're going to have side effects of dizziness and falls and long-term side effects of poor brain uh, circulation you know your your brain might slow down a bit and long term you might get dementia so the other uh, thing that uh, we we do is um, if you uh, apart from monitoring, because not everybody is on blood pressure medications, which um, we look for uh, falls. So that's, of course, a red flag thing. Mm. So we actually ask all doctors and healthcare professionals who have encountered an older person uh, to ask them at least once a year mm -hmm. whether uh, they have uh, had at least one fall in the past 12 months. So a fall is a danger sign, isn't mm -hmm. it? And we hope that if... Um, if the, the blood pressure, if they have already had one fall, we do something about it uh, so that they, uh, and preferably they wouldn't have hurt themselves during that fall as to prevent any falls with injury subsequently. So if they've admitted to a fall, uh, then we should measure their blood pressure lying and standing up. So the blood pressure sometimes is already low-lying, which mm. some, sometimes we see. And then if they are already on blood pressure medications, then that's usually the, the culprit. But if it's not, then we have to look for something a little bit more serious. Of course, it could be physiological, mm. um, in which case it's nothing worrying. So then the other thing is um, it drops standing up. Then, mm -hmm. of course, they have this orthostatic hypotension or OH. And uh, of course, again, we're looking for medications usually, but if there are no medications, then we have to look for other causes. Um, and then the other thing to look out for is um, when they're walking, eh, they're stumbling. So, um, and that's mm. quite common. Um, so then get yourself checked up because you have a 
balance issue now. If you don't do something about it, the risk of falling is high. So um, so that's the best time to go and get yourself checked up. And just getting your blood pressure measured is quite easy, isn't it? Mm. Um, and of course, if they already complain of dizziness, if they complain of weakness and tiredness, um, uh, and particularly when they um, stand up. Um, so there are times, danger times, um, first thing in the morning when they get up. Mm. Yeah, that's when usually, because you haven't, you've been lying down all night, you haven't drunk anything all night. So usually a bit dehydrated in the mornings. Getting up is usually the hardest time. Um, so when they complain that they're dizzy and it's very hard for them to get out of bed, then you should actually say, oh, you know, are the blood pressure medications too strong for them? Uh, so measure their blood pressure then if you have a machine. In the um, morning. In the morning. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other times are when you, you know, when you're getting up from a chair after prolonged sitting uh, or, pro- or getting up from bed with prolonged lying. Uh, and then you, uh, the other thing is after meals. After, when you've had a big meal, the blood tends to go to the stomach um, to, to digest and then your blood pressure might drop then. So usually our post-lunch is the post-lunch dip is what we, we, we look for in the older adults. Um, and um, I think someone, people might be familiar with this experience, you know, after a nice big lunch, then, you know, feeling a bit lethargic and sluggish. It might be because they have what we call postprandial hypotension. Yeah. Um, so the older men, mm. uh, older men, this is specific to the men, um, can actually have problems with the blood pressure after peeing because you know they tend to have prostate issues. Mm. So um, so when they go, uh, when they, so they have to strain a bit to go to the toilet, uh, and that can, can actually cause a problem with blood pressure afterwards. And uh, um, quite a few older men complain of falling after going to the toilet. Yeah, it's a very, very, very fancy medical term for it. We call it micturition syncope. <laughs> um, um, but it is basically, you know, falling after going to the toilet. Yeah. Mm, all the different things to look out for. Yes. Does that make it challenging to diagnose then, Prof? Because you sort of have these sort of different situations and yes. also the fact that it's you it's not just a snapshot of one moment, right? That's yeah. right. And so we have to have different tests. But the most important thing is the history. Mm. So being able to take the history because it's very difficult to have a blood pressure monitor at the right time mm. yeah uh, when things happen so um so there are different gadgets we have to deal with different situations now so um so the ones so having a blood pressure machine at home when you have already when you're on blood pressure medications is actually a very good thing and there is this crusade to make sure that everyone can afford it mm. um and if I'm naughty enough. Um, because blood pressure medications do cost money. Mm-hmm. And if you're using them inappropriately, it costs even more money. So maybe we should be prescribing, the first time you prescribe blood pressure medication, prescribe a blood pressure monitor at the same time. Because now it's so inexpensive mm-hmm. that it costs as little as a month's supply of blood pressure medications so that they have one at home. So as soon as you have symptoms, record your blood pressure. That is actually the most useful thing we can do. Because if you wait until you go and see the doctor, your blood pressure would have normalised. Mm. Yeah, so having a monitor at home is extremely useful. Mm. Um, and uh, the, the other thing that we have we do is because if... Um, so imagine if the older person walks to the toilet, mm-hmm. passes urine and then falls. By the time someone finds them and measures their blood pressure, it's normal. Mm. So it's intermittent. So the other thing that we can do is uh, to actually, we have these machines that will that people can wear to monitor the people blood pressure over 24 hours. But that will take at the most measurements every 15 minutes. But we can see the trend. 
Um, so some people might have had it. It's called ambulatory blood pressure monitoring. Um, but uh, the other thing that we can do is to have them in a lab. So uh, my clinic has an autonomic laboratory mm-hmm. where we actually uh, uh, where we actually induce low blood pressure and then ask them, what's this, how you felt? So um, the way we induce low blood pressure is to tilt them up on a tilt table mm-hmm. and they're connected to beat-to-beat blood pressure monitoring and heart rate monitoring, of course. And then we give them two puffs of uh, a, a medication called GTN, uh, not GNT, eh? GTN. Uh, and that will actually make the blood vessels dilate, the blood pressure drops, and then we'll go, do you recognise this symptom? Then go, oh yeah, that's exactly how we f- I felt. Then you go, yes, so this is a condition related to low blood pressure. And uh, we it's... We can treat it. It's mm. very treatable. Uh, and the treatment is usually very harmless, very easy to do. Yeah. Mm. So how do you usually manage low blood pressure? Okay, so it depends. Okay, so always, always we have to emphasise on the, the emergency situation. Mm. So, so if you have a sudden drop in your blood pressure that has never happened before, mm-hmm. it could signify something seriously wrong. And it could be potentially life-threatening. It could be a bleed in your stomach. So in those cases, patients need to be in hospital for monitoring. But fortunately, that's a very, very small minority of the cases. Um, and uh, they need to have, you know, they. Um, we actually usually remind the doctors to actually do a rectal examination to make mm. sure that they have not had a bleed in the stomach. Um, that is kind of the, the the key thing to remember. So, um, so, but if it wasn't a blood pressure that suddenly dropped and made you feel suddenly unwell, then and it's a chronic thing. So, if your blood pressure is low all the time due to medications that you've been taking, the simplest thing to do is to stop taking the medication. Mm. But it's actually very hard mm. because a lot of our older adults particularly have been told by their doctor that hypertension is a killer. Mm. And so this pill... Because you hear about all the other increased risks yes, from hypertension, right. right? Yeah, and they, they always give them this pill you will take for the rest of your life. So then my patients will say, but this really famous, very, very, very amazing doctor told me that I must take this for the rest of my life. Now you're asking me to stop it. I won't because I don't want to have a stroke. And no matter how much we tell them, actually, you no longer have high blood pressure. Your problem is low blood pressure. Maybe you've lost weight or your body has got frailer. You know, the body composition changes over over your life. So older people tend to have more fat and less muscle. So then they react to medications differently. Mm. So you no longer need such so much blood pressure medication or you no longer even need blood pressure medication because your high blood pressure has gone away. And we actually know this. And I, I plead to all doctors to, to not say that anymore because um, if you have high blood pressure, you can actually lower your blood pressure by lifestyle on its own. So if you no longer have a high, if you now now have a healthy lifestyle, you no longer have a um, a high stress job, uh, and you no longer you know eat unhealthily. You cut down on salt that you eat, and you exercise regularly. Then your blood pressure will come down. So you no longer need your blood pressure treatment. Mm-hmm. And so that's easy but hard to do. So, um, and then the other, th- but if they are not actually on any specific blood pressure medications, or the blood pressure is actually high on the background, but they drop the blood pressure intermittently, then we have to come up with uh, strategies. Mm. Yeah, and it's usually lifestyle strategies. So this would be cases where it's related to, I guess, postural changes or the postural changes, ones. or they just have low blood pressure mm. all the time, and they're not. It's not due to drugs. Mm. So we will say that um, uh, if you just before you get up. So that's the easiest strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, so if you're about to get up, get up in stages. Yeah. So um, get up halfway. So if you're lying, sit down by the side of the bed for a while uh, and check that you're not dizzy. Mm-hmm. And then partially get up and check that you're not dizzy again and then fully get up and then uh, wait for about 30 seconds to one minute before you start walking. Mm. Make sure that you're steady. Because remember, they might not recognise dizziness, mm. but they will recognise not being steady. Yeah, and if it's if it's you not steady, sit back down again and start again. But what you might want to do is to have a drink of water. Now we have this very interesting reflex mm-hmm. um, that is related to we call it water ingestion. So when you drink, um, we don't know that when you drink uh, five hundred mils of ice cold water, your blood pressure goes up by seven millimeters of mercury on average. Mm. But in my patients with uh, nerve damage, autonomic neuropathy, we can actually push the blood pressure up even more with this uh, reflex. So sometimes 10 or 20 millions of mercury, allowing them to be able to get up. So I um, I usually ask my patients to always go to bed with a flask of water by the, by the side of the bed, but don't drink it overnight. Mm. It's for the next morning. So a big giant flask of water and then sit by the side of the bed. It's got to be Cold water, so at least room temperature. I know a lot of older people don't like mm. cold water. Hot water makes things can make things worse because you know it makes your blood pressure dilate. Mm. Yeah, so they should drink as much of that water as they're able to before they get up. So that stimulates that reflex. Um, and uh, to make sure you drink at least two liters of water a day. Malaysia is a very very hot country, so if you have sweat a lot, you will have to replace that. So you might have to drink three three liters or four liters on very very hot days, heat waves, even more. Mm. Um, so the um, so the that's that's the general advice that we give. And then as soon as you feel unwell, dizzy, mm-hmm. or, uh, or or tired. Um, recognize the symptoms. So the other thing we use our tilt table test for is to, to educate the people, to rec- our patients to recognize the symptoms of high blood, low blood pressure, then lie down. Because if you're lying down, nothing will happen to you. And then, you know, do the steps again. There's a very simple lifestyle management that we can do. Mm. And then uh, over time, um, they become more self-aware and they're able to adapt their life uh, properly to maximize the quality of life because some people do have it really bad and it can really affect the quality of life. Mm. So, so in those situations, so when the quality of life is very bad and even with conservative measures, they can't increase their blood pressure, then we resort to medicating. But that's a really tiny minor- minority. I think less than one in 20, you know, maybe oh, wow. of my patients uh, will actually need medi- medicating to push up their blood pressure. And the medications have very strong side effects. Mm. Yeah, so um, we tend to avoid it unless we really, really need to. And that's really a job for a specialist. So don't try and do it yourself. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Sometimes, Prof, we hear of people using those um, support stockings, right? It's, how much, how, this, how would that help? That helps a lot. So remember, if you... Um, have uh, if you have I didn't mention it because it's uh, because it's such a hot country and mm. generally we don't find our patients really take it and mm. we, we get them to use it for special occasions mm. like you know if they're, they're going out for dinner or something important occasions but yes it does help so so but it's a specific type of stockings we call it a graduating graduated compes- compression hosiery um, you can buy the medical grade ones which are good because they last really long you know every time you just wash make sure you have more than one pair, otherwise it gets smelly. Um, then, uh, then um, you, they they actually have graduated pressure mm. uh, in order to 
um, make sure that when you stand up, your blood doesn't flow into the legs. That is um, that is a very useful tool. And in Western countries um, and, and in cold climates, it's actually very commonly given out. But Malaysia is a very hot country and we tend to have shoes off. Mm. So when you wear those things barefooted, it can actually increase your risk of falls. Yeah, so, um, so make sure you have proper footwear if you're going to do this at home mm. so that you're not walking on the stockings. Mm. Um, and um, for women, it can be unsightly. So as a replacement, we actually ask them to wear support tights. Mm. Yes, so which they can buy very easily uh, from, um, you know, uh, departmental stores. Uh, but uh, And wear, wear uh, as high a grade as you can actually tolerate. Yeah. Mm. If the older adult is still fairly independent, yes. then if they're still able to move around, do their chores, or even go out of the mm-hmm. house, right? But if they have, especially intermittent low blood pressure, is that something that should stop them from doing these things? Definitely not. In fact, we do know that uh, low blood pressure can be a problem because, uh, related to deconditioning. Mm. So this OH or orthostatic blood pressure happens when someone is has been lying down for a long time. So it, we see it a lot in ICU patients because, you know, they nurse them lying down. Uh, and then so when then finally the patient wakes up and tries to get up, whoa, the blood pressure, their, their head is spinning. Why? Mm. Because the blood vessels haven't done this for a while. It's got out of practice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the... Um, so, so what we now do in ICU um, and in, in other medical settings is make sure they get up mm. regularly mm. to avoid this, um, this problem. We call it with prolonged recumbency. And then we ha- might sometimes have to rehabilitate these people so that they can tolerate posture change again. And we actually put them, we call it tilt training. We actually put them on the tilt table for increasing amounts of time until mm-hmm. finally they can actually tolerate being upright for a decent amount of time and they can have some uh, they can start rehabilitating because you imagine every time you get up you flake out and faint again mm. it's not it's actually a very unpleasant experience yep so being up and about regularly exercising regularly is actually the best treatment for for orthostatic hypotension but of course there's always a minority mm-hmm. and i'm sure some of you are going there nonsense doctor i can't do it <laughs> yeah there is a minority very very less than 1% of my patients who have really bad nerve damage who can't get up. Mm. Now, those those are very special people. Mm. Uh, we can still max, try do our best to maximise the quality of life. Um, I do have a patient who runs a business lying down. Because mm. um, nowadays with modern technology, etc. You, yeah. you can, yeah, you can. Don't say, uh, it shouldn't be something that will totally stop you from, from having a life, mm. but you just have to adapt. But those are the very, very small minority. Mm. All right. Um, Earlier in the conversation when we started this, Prof, you said that people don't take low blood pressure as seriously as high blood pressure, or at least the awareness isn't that high, right? So um, to wrap up this conversation, what would your message be to people about this? Okay, so low blood pressure is common. Mm. So uh, as I mentioned, one in three older adults uh, um, older adults have had at least one faint in their lifetime. And then the other thing is um, this orthostatic hypotension business. Uh, worldwide, we've looked at all the statistics, all the studies published. One in five have orthostatic hypotension. Mm. Most common cause is medications. So if you are on a blood pressure medication, please make sure that you monitor your blood pressure regularly uh, and um, and make sure that you're adequately hydrated to avoid having OH because that could lead to falls. Uh, and if you have OH frequent enough, that can affect your brain function and um, potentially increase your risk of dementia. So don't just take this lightly. Hypotension 
is actually not a very nice thing to have. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Prof. Thank you. I've been speaking to geriatrician Professor Dr. Tan Mopin about the dangers of hypotension on this episode of Healthy Aging. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.